With the increasing issues surrounding our chronic diseases and increasing awareness on what we eat and what nutrition is and how it affects our body, why learn nutrition is a topic of today's Foodology Radio episode here at 22 West Media. 22 West Radio is 22westmedia.com and 88.1 FM KKJZ HD3 Long Beach, Los Angeles. We live in a difficult time for those of us who just want to eat. We may sit at our own dinner table thinking what to eat from our own kitchen or what foods to avoid. We may think about that new supplement or that new superfood. I'm Aaron. And I'm Michelle. Together, we are the hosts of Foodology Radio. Tune in to hear the science of nutrition, receive dietary tips, have your own personal nutrition questions answered, and so much more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foodology Radio. I'm Michelle. And I'm Aaron. And we are your new hosts for the spring semester. Yeah, so exciting, huh? Yeah, it's our first episode. Yeah, this makes us a little bit a little bit nervous, but I think we'll get used to having microphones like this in front of our face and having potentially a lot of people listening to us, but it's part of the course. Yeah, hope everyone had a great fall semester and winter break. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves. Aaron, you want to go first? Sure thing. So as I said before, I'm Aaron. That's what you guys can call me. Or one of my roommates calls me A.A. Ron. So and I'm pretty sure a lot of people do just from that one video, Key and Peel. So whatever makes you remember Aaron better. But... Uh, little things about, about about myself. My background is that I'm a second year, currently a sophomore at Cal State Long Beach, and I majored in nutrition and dietetics with a concentration in nutrition. And eventually, with that degree, I do eventually want to plan to go to medical school and become specialized in gastroenterology. And with that, I also hope to do some uh, of my own nutrition research since the the parts of nutrition I'm most interested in is um, the research behind it. Not so much the dietetics, although of course I do appreciate the work they do, but my personal interest is nutrition research itself. And currently right now, you can find me as well on the SDA um, officer list. Right now I'm a historian. for the SDA, Student Dietetic Association, which has its meetings around once once a month at varying locations. Um, and on top of that, I also do enjoy biking around, uh, especially Long Beach. Long Beach is a very bike-friendly area, so I do enjoy biking here pretty pretty well, a lot more than my hometown. My hometown doesn't have very much bike-friendly paths to go down. Long Beach is way better for biking, and but mostly in the morning, too, because I hate the afternoon heat when it comes to biking. So, And eventually, I do actually plan to compete in a race. Um, I say compete like I'm going to be really, really competitive. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be, but um, just to go in there, just to see how it's like riding like 30 miles or whatever or just riding a lot more than I'm usually used to um, although of course I will be training for it I'm not going to go completely untrained in that but eventually I do plan to make a attend a bike race and yeah that's for me what about you Michelle how about you release some of your own background and 
who are you? Oh, I don't know how to follow that, Erin. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm also a nutrition and dietetics major. I actually just finished declaring. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I forgot, to, I forgot to mention that. We just declared, both of us. So we're actually fully in the major and we're actually Woo-hoo. starting to take all the major-related classes. So that's actually really, really exciting. That's what we're here in college yeah, for. And now we're finally excited. done with all the GEs, right? Yeah, Public finally. Speaking, all of that. Classes that everyone just takes just to have a GE done. But now we're getting to the good part of college. So that's really exciting, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm really excited Super. to take like actual nutrition classes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, intro was good. Intro went over a lot of stuff, but it's like not in as much depth, really, as me or you would like. But I get it's an intro class, and it's actually one of the GEs as well. I think it's like GEE, Everyday Life Development or something like that. GEE, I never heard of that. <laughs> well, it's like one of the GEs, right? Okay. So like we have like the foundation GEs, like the English classes primarily. Then we have GE, like D, which is like social sciences, and E, which is like lifelong development. So. Right. So I'm actually a dietetics concentration, whereas Aaron is a nutrition concentration. Uh, Aaron, do you want to explain what the difference is? Yeah. So with the dietetics concentration, the classes are primarily based around the person actually becoming a registered dietitian and having actually working in clinics or with whatever um, like field they want to work with. And the nutrition concentration is mostly meant for people who want to pursue higher education in a way, um, such as like a master's or a master's in like whatever they want or like nutrition. Obviously, is an obvious example, or for people who want to go to like medical school or any other graduate programs, and it's not, it's not really meant to to prepare you to be an actual dietitian as the dietetics concentration is. So it's more research based, right? Well, yeah, essentially, it's they teach you more about the inner details of chemistry really that's the main difference you have for dietetics you have a bunch of classes right like Mm -hmm. medical or nutrition medical nutrition medical therapy too you get to take nutrition concentrations don't have to take that yeah mnt yeah nutrition concentrations don't have to take that at all so nutrition concentrations actually have fewer classes really than the dietetics concentration such because we only you have like what, like 10 or 15 classes you have to take for dietetics on top of the core classes. Um, well, nutrition has only about, I would say like five extra classes, and it's mostly just chemistry. So you have to take the full semester of general chemistry plus full semester of organic chemistry. And we both had to take fundamentals, so that's, that's the same. And on top of those chemistry classes, I also had to take anatomy. And I honestly think that it's mostly structured this way, just to give you a bit more knowledge of areas where it may be more important to know more for graduate schools, and also to free up your schedule so you can take the prerequisite classes. Because if I was to take the same amount of classes you are taking for dietetics, I would not be able to fit in my medical school classes 
and still graduate within a reasonable amount of time. So I think they lessen the load and just switch it out for a few particular classes just so they don't have, just so that the student doesn't have a bazillion different classes to take for their graduate program. Yeah, it's a it's a long major, <laughs> nutrition. But yeah, 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 so I chose dietetics because I want to become a registered dietitian, like most of you um, who are also nutrition majors. <laughs> like most, most nutrition majors, they're dietetics. There's very few of us that go through the nutrition concentration. Yeah, Aaron's one of them. <laughs> Similar to Erin, I'm also a member of the Student Dietetic Association here on campus, or SDA. I'm also the historian, or the co-historian, so we basically do the same job. Yeah, pretty much. It's the same thing, really. We have the same responsibilities in that club. Yeah, and I guess outside of uh, nutrition, I'm really interested in meditation and yoga. Um, I'm the president of the meditation club here on campus. Uh, We have weekly meetings, so come join us. Yeah, so I'm also a second year here at Cal State Long Beach, and I'm really excited for the spring semester to start. Yeah, so that that makes both of us, right? Makes two. Yeah, I guess. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of nutrition and why it would be beneficial to have some basic knowledge about nutrition. Yeah, so, well, yeah, so with that being our first episode and, of course, our later episodes talking about more specific details about nutrition, but for right now, we'll just go over on why you should, I guess, essentially why you should keep up with us and why you may want to continue listening and maybe do your own future your own individual research on this topic so um, following that we will get into the first segment of this which is the nutrition and news so every single episode just like the previous host will have about a, a, semi, a section of the beginning of the podcast where we just talk about any late the latest nutrition news like any articles that we find interesting so I'll start with my own article that I found interesting. So this article is Hunger's Impact on Education, a study in India. And so this study typically just, it looks on the food insecurity of children in India on the education levels. And if you don't know what food insecurity is, it's essentially skipping meals or just not eating for a long duration of time, typically due to financial reasons, like you can't afford to eat like a certain amount of food every day, and you can't afford to eat the food that your body preferably wants to eat. Um, and this typically leads to you eating less food that you require, so you don't get the amount of calories that you need. You also don't get the amount of nutrients and vitamins and minerals that your body requires. And this could, of course, feel, it makes you feel sensations of hunger, which is obviously, if anyone's felt hunger for a long duration of time, it's really, really distracting. And it could impair um, your bodily functions and from this study shows your cognition. And so this study was conducted in, from the University of Lanchester that finds that hunger actually lowers the attainment of education in children. So children in India, which this study was focusing on, um, if they felt sensations of hunger and food insecurity, they weren't able to attain the education that they were taught and they're not able to um, learn from it as best as they could. And food insecurity, 
this study found that at age five, where these children face food insecurity, they found that they had the lowest test scores just in general, so like math, English, or sciences. Um, interestingly enough, though, food insecurity at the ages from eight to 12 appeared to only affect English and math abilities, which I find interesting how they weren't able to find a connection to English or not English to like science or other non-English or math abilities. And so this study shows that um, hunger can impair your cognition and just not make you as prime as you could be. And really also shows the importance of food security, right? We don't want to be in a place or in a situation where we can't afford or don't have the ability to eat the foods that we preferably want to eat, right? So that's why um, we have the luxury of being here in America for most viewers here. We don't have to worry about that so much because food is readily available and relatively cheap where most people can afford it. Um, and if you can't afford it, there are programs here like CalFresh that provide you the opportunity to be able to afford healthy food. Um, even if you don't have the financial means, the government will provide you money through food stamps or through CalFresh here to be able to, to make sure you can eat, be able to eat. And... Given this, given this study, I want to just show the importance of, for any students listening or anyone out there listening who doesn't have the financial means to afford healthy food or just food in general especially, try try uh, getting into the CalFresh program. It's relatively simple to get into. And if you got the Cal Grant B or if you work 20 hours a week minimum, you can qualify for this on top of other qualifications. But those are the two scenarios that make you automatically like. Um, eligible for this CalFresh opportunity and just um, I recommend for all of you to get into this program if you can um, if anything it gives you free food at least but if you're food insecure you definitely can use this and you don't want food being the impairment of your college education right you're, like, you're paying thousands of dollars already to be here and you don't want something as fundamental as food to hinder what you could do and what you can get from this college yeah, I'm sure uh, we can all relate as college students. Food insecurity is extremely common. I wonder if um, that study could relate to like elementary school students and their education as well, like not having enough money to get a proper lunch um, in the hot lunch line. Well, the study focuses on ages 5 through 12, so that's typically the age of elementary students, right? Right. So, and... In hindsight, like when you look at the ages, you can assume that these test scores are based on English, like elementary level classes. You're not gonna have like an eight-year-old taking like high school classes or college <laughs> classes, right? Unless they're like complete geniuses, which I'm yeah. sure some are, but uh, typically, I'm, I don't think anyone in this study was of that level of insane like education. Yeah, I was reading about these elementary schools who were holding debt against these elementary school students for not being able to pay for their what? school lunch. <laughs> it's not their fault. It's like they didn't choose to be in a family that can't afford like school lunches, right? Yeah, food insecurity is such a big problem nowadays. Man. So the article that I found for this episode is about college nutrition science courses as an intervention to prevent weight gain. So the participants in the study were 40 female college freshmen, and they were divided into two groups, the intervention group and the control group. 
the intervention was a one-semester nutrition science college course, and they measured body weight, nutrient intakes, and knowledge over one year. And by the end of that year, they found that the students in the intervention group with a higher body mass index, or BMI, reported a lower fat, protein, and carbohydrate intake compared to the higher BMI students in the control group. So the study was able to conclude that nutrition education is an effective way to prevent weight gain in at-risk college students. Yeah, I find it pretty interesting now that it was only BMI of over 24, which I guess it makes sense, right? Like if you're BMI 20 and you're hearing that that's within the perfectly within the healthy range of BMI is like, okay. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see weight loss at that point because then you're going under, then you're going into underweight territory. But if you're like BMI of over 24, like BMI 28 or 30, and you could take a nutrition class, yeah, I would say you're more likely to try to limit your food intake to try to get into the healthy BMI range of around 18.5, the 25 being the normal BMI range. So, yeah, if you're, if you're 28, probably beneficial to try to get into that lower weight category. But if you're, like, 22, you're perfectly fine where you are right now. And you probably sh- shouldn't start losing weight just because you want to lose weight. Yeah, if you're already eating pretty healthy and you're at a healthy body weight, you don't want to lose too much weight and then become underweight. Am I right? Yeah, you don't want to get into the anorexic levels, right? Like BMI of less than 18.5. Except when you start getting real health complications, there's like anemia, weakness, just generally being too underweight and not eating enough calories to sustain yourself. So with that being said, we're not going to continue to the main topic of the show, um, why to learn nutrition. Uh, but before we get into that, we got to get into a quick commercial break. So see you on the other side. And we're back from the commercial break. So now that we're back, we can start with the main topic of the show, which is why learn nutrition. So to first start, we should go over exactly what is nutrition. It's the, the entire point of the, of the show. show. Yeah, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next bazillion years in this exact podcast. But in more serious terms, uh, we have a definition me and Michelle really like from a dietitian, which I think it, it, it explains what nutrition is pretty well. So nutrition is the interaction between food and the human body and its growth, health, maintenance, and reproduction. So basically, how does food interact with the human body, right? Right. And, and a lot of people are confused, like, oh, what's nutrition and what's food science, right? So nutrition is what we already said, the interaction of food with our body. Food science is the, act, the science of the food itself, regardless of its interaction with us. So like what makes a, what is the exact molecule or a combination of whatever that makes a banana sweet, right? Or what makes, what's the exact molecule, what makes a jalapeno sour, like, not sour, but uh, really, really spicy. Or like, why when we cook things does it change flavor, right? So that's food science, which, which differs from nutrition. So, yeah. Yeah, nutrition's more about like the benefits or how, um, yeah, basically our entire show, like the benefits of how food can affect you or it can affect you in a, a negative way as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And of course, with nutrition, we always have with the goal of nutrition, we wanted to have a positive role in our lives. We wanted to benefit us in as many ways as possible. So that includes, of course, physically, but also mentally. Like people forget about the mental aspects of nutrition, like the taste of it or like the guilt behind food. So we don't want to have a relationship with nutrition where we always have anxieties around food or whatever. We're like, maybe we can be satisfying ourselves physically, but we are dissatisfying ourselves and giving us uh, a negative impact towards our own mental state. So overall, we want nutrition to be beneficial more than harmful, right? Yeah, we're all about cultivating a healthy, positive relationship with food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as many ways as possible, physically and of course mentally. So just a little background about nutrition in the United States. People's attitudes towards nutrition are changing. People are becoming more aware of what they eat. For example, a study from the American Dietetic Association, or the ADA, um, they found that nearly 40% of people don't don't care about nutrition in 1990, and it decreased to 32% in 2002 and 19% in 2008. 19 percent so yeah before i before i go on i just want to mention that the dietetic association is now called the academy nutrition dietetics so if you look them up you're gonna see that that name doesn't really go by or exist anymore um they changed their name so but um this is what i find interesting like 19 percent say they don't care um, at least in 2008. Um, presumably, it would be lower now in 2020, but in 2008, 19% didn't care. But I find that a little bit shocking because, like, at least to me, that says, like, the people in that group, um, they just really don't care about, like, feeling well or benefiting themselves nutritionally at all. Like, that's why you're in the don't care group. Like, you don't, you're not conscious about it at all. You're not, like, slightly conscious or, like, really, really conscious. You're just, like, don't, like, you don't restrict like, or you just don't really care about anything with the nutrition aspect. So to me, it just sounds like you really don't care about like feeling well and just benefiting your future self. Yeah, nutrition has a lot of benefits and there are a lot of reasons to care about what you put in your body. And so yeah, that's what we're gonna talk about in this episode. So maybe we could convince that 19% to care. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. So following from that, we have 43% in the population in the United States say that they eat healthy and uh, exercise regularly. So that's a 40, 43%, I see a pretty good number, I think. But looking further into it, um, we actually track exactly what they actually consume on a regular basis. We find that only 10% of the population uh, meet the fruit and vegetable recommendation um, set by the federal government. And we actually see a lower rate in men, surprisingly. And but, but this 10% availability could just be due to the, like high cost of fresh fruit and vegetables, and also the low availability. It's like food deserts. Some people just don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, and um, the perceived lack of time as common barriers of like preparing foods that hold vegetables or just. Um, I guess. Well, honestly, I don't find the the time part with fruit too convincing like as a barrier because like fruit is like pretty fast solutions uh meal prepping can get rid of a lot of um 
that time commitment you need just one once a week. You can prepare all your fruits and veggies ahead of time. Yeah, that's what I do. It saves me a bunch of bunch of time just cooking a lot of food in bulk and just storing in the fridge for the like, the rest of the week or for me like just up to like four days <laughs> just for four days but it saves me a lot of time I know to cook my food every single day right well I have, to, I have to cook a lot less food every single day because I have a, just some of it prepared in the, in the refrigerator just take it out put it in the microwave and it'd be all set right so yep it's that easy that guys simple. at least when it comes to time but um, yeah obviously the high cost of it that's can be pretty hard for a lot of people and uh, low availability obviously like that's honestly uh, like flat out for some people may even make it impossible if you have no access to fruits, fresh fruits and vegetables outright and the, the barriers of time commitment of course is just meal prepping so following from that um, we find that 38% say that they should but they don't um, like care too much about their food intake but um, that's that's at least uh, a step above the 19% because with the 19%, they just don't care flat out, right? They don't even think they should. But the 38%, they're at least like a little bit, like on the nudge of it, of trying to uh, be more conscious about their food intake. But um, they still don't perform it in actions, apparently, but they at least have the mental, or like the unconscious mental attitude of they probably should be caring about what they eat on a regular basis. Yeah, I guess um, those people might be thinking like short-term, but there are very um, many long-term benefits to eating healthy. Mm-hmm. And we'll, with those long-term benefits, we can talk about with future episodes. But for right now, we'll just stick with uh, what we're talking about right now, which is the topic, with the topic of this episode, why learn nutrition. So following from that, we find that two-thirds say that nutrition is very important to them. So that's a... That's a little bit of um, the, like the hopeful group, right? Like they are really, really aware of what they should be eating and what they could be consuming on the regular basis, right? So they, I'm sure they emphasize um, foods that they think, that they believe they should be eating more of. So knowing the stats of the Americans' attitudes towards food, we can now see uh, the actual effects of our food choices on our society. So Americans increased calories by around 500 calories since 1970, according to the Pew Research. And most of these calories are likely mostly coming from refined grains, added oils, and dairy fats, interestingly enough. So that would relate more to like the popularity of fast food? Yeah, of course that's coming mostly from processed convenience, fast foods, right? So, and we're and us intaking too much of those of that food. And example of this is in some grocery, not some grocery stores, but in some fast food joints, you can now supersize a meal. Where actually, not some, but that's that's pretty regular by now. You have supersized meals. So typically, our food portion sizes have in, been increasing a lot over the past decades. Where if you go to the fast food joint, it's common to find a meal that's around a thousand calories, up to two thousand calories. So the Big Mac with large fries is around a hundred calories, and you can have a milkshake with that too, right? So you have a your hamburger, your uh, fries, and of course you have some milkshake with it or 
just soda. But if you have to go with the milkshake option, that you can easily add around 530 calories with just a beverage, right? The milkshake beverage. And so with one rest one restaurant example is Sonic's peanut butter caramel pie malt shake, which I find pretty outrageous with how much they can get in um, such a small amount of beverage. So in a small beverage, you get around 900 calories in such a, in a small cup beverage, right? And if you go with the large beverage, which come on, most of us do um, in the population, you can get 2,170 calories from just the milkshake, not even including the fries or whatever else you're getting aside with it. That's insane. That's the amount that I eat in a day. Yeah, so you, for some people, that's literally, that's probably more than they eat in a day, right? Some people who eat like 2,000 or 1,800, whatever they intuitively eat or they're striving for, that's more than they eat in a day, right? The RDA recommendation is only 2,000. Yeah, 2,000 for the average person, right? So that's that's more than what the RDA recommends for most people, right? So that's how, that, that's crazy. Honestly, that's crazy. That's I think of that sometimes, like, that's too insane for just a beverage. Like, that's too much. But that must be a really good beverage, though. But for the calories, that's, that's, a, that's a little bit crazy. Not to mention the sugar. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of the calories are coming from the the refined sugar in it, right? So, yeah, it's just crazy. So, following from that, um, knowing what the United States society thinks of nutrition as a whole, we can now think of what's in it for me, right? So you're assuming you're uh, one of the health conscious people in, in the survey that was conducted. You may thinking to yourself, or anyone's interested as well, you may think to yourself, like, what's in it for me? Like, why should I learn and apply lessons from nutrition, right? Like, what's in it for me? What's the benefit? So. The main benefit from it is mostly um, long-term benefits, such as reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, like heart disease, primarily being the leading cause of death, so like atherosclerosis, uh, development of plaque in our arteries, so we can prevent or reduce our risk of those of that disease. Certain cancers as well have been you can prevent with um, or not well, prevent or. Um, reduce the risk of developing certain cancers with a proper nutrition. And diabetes, of course, you can reduce your risk of developing diabetes with a good uh, meal plan and a balanced diet. Alzheimer's diseases, you can also reduce the risk of, and of course, obesity, right? That's the biggest thing when it comes to this is just um, reducing the risk of being excessively overweight and having a better immunology. And so you just, your immune system can function better if you have the proper nutrients going into your body. And we actually have a quote that describes um, the relationship between food and long-term yeah, disease by Hippocrates. He says, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Yeah, I love this quote. Like, it's just... It's, 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 I think it's a really powerful quote for how many words that are in it. Like, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. It really shows the importance of having proper nutrition and a good balanced diet when it comes to longevity and just well-being when it comes to um, us as a society, right? Absolutely. Many people rely on like prescriptions, pills, and drugs to cure those long-term diseases when they can just be easily prevented by 
feeding your body with the right nutrients. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of these prescription drugs, they often have side effects, right? And you have the doctor often prescribes another drug to manage those side effects, and you just get like you just get in a cycle of just having to take these drugs and like a bunch of them, and with all, and dealing with all these side effects. And really, you can, as an alternative, you can better your nutrition to help manage your illness. And of course, there's very there's like next to no downsides of just having a better nutrition plan, right? You will feel better, and you help manage your symptoms. And of course, you'll just likely have a higher chance of just living a longer life and a better life at that like health wise as well yeah the answer to all our health issues is just what's on our plates yeah that's often the case a lot of our illnesses can be in like vastly aided with a proper diet right a, a well-balanced diet and on top of your own personal benefits or physical benefits of uh, the following a balanced diet, you can also, with further nutrition education, you can also reduce the risk of you following yourself into a fad diet. So like, if you hear those things on like Instagram or typically like on, under blogs, you may think to yourself like, should you follow that detox or cleanse diet or should you avoid certain nutrients or food groups or should you buy that particular superfood that's being advertised appetite suppressing pill the green juice cleanse yeah yeah, detox yeah yeah. it's like you might find yourself like falling for more of those things if you're not educated about proper nutrition Mm -hmm. so you'll you'll have a better idea of what like what what you're listening to is good information and what you're listening to is misinformation so to say with uh, proper nutrition education and you being more aware of it so we just went over what's in it for me or how nutrition can benefit yourself but now we're going to go over the cost of poor health on the economy and society so how it affects other people yeah so first thing we're going to talk about is the effects of our own personal food choices when it comes to in relationship to um, obesity. So currently right now, as of 2015 through 2016, the United States of America, um, we have a nearly 35% to 40% prevalence of obesity in the United States population with the highest being in Hispanics, uh, being a little bit over 40, actually being at 42 issue when it comes to our economy and society since obesity has been shown to be linked to many diseases that plague our current society as it is right now such as like like cardiovascular disease diabetes certain cancers and uh, especially um, the cost of mental health but we could go on that later and as of 2008 um, the cost of obesity on, on the economy was about 150 billion dollars was a big b billion dollars just on um, managing the symptoms and the results of obesity in our society so following that we have diabetes so from according to the cdc in 2017 30.3 million people suffered from type 2 diabetes and 34% of which people over the years of 18 have 
pre-diabetes. And 48% of those over 65, so those um, of the elderly age, have also have pre-diabetes. So as you get older, the risk of you developing diabetes is getting higher and higher, of course. But like 3.3 million people, that's quite a lot of people are suffering from diabetes. And it's only expected to get higher, right? Like Diabetes is a vastly like, growing disease in our, uh, in our society. And... It's just scary how much people can just, how many people can suffer from this. Yeah, and it's completely preventable to type two. Yeah, yeah, like diet has been shown to really been heavily linked to your risk of developing type two diabetes, right? Um, it's not like 100% preventive, but like you're vastly reducing your risk of developing diabetes if you have a well-balanced diet and, of course, following your fruit and vegetable intake as well, right? So, yeah, so diabetes is a big one that plagues our current society and plagues our economy as well, right? So... And the cost of that is an yeah. estimated $345 billion. Yeah, so, again, with a, with a B, $345 billion dollars in managing uh, diabetes symptoms. Symptoms of which being blurry vision, dehydration, foot pain, and amputations. When it comes to really, really severe diabetes, typically people have um, amputated limbs. And of course, uh, the definition of diabetes, uh, the main symptom being uh, chronic elevated glucose levels, of course, which these symptoms are very, very costly, as shown by us. It costing us three hundred and forty-five billion dollars every single year, um, and just the United States alone. So, diabetes is a is a huge aspect of nutrition protecting us in the future and protecting us from chronic diseases. And continuing from that, we have cardiovascular disease, which causes around six hundred and ten thousand deaths from cardiovascular disease-related deaths in the United States alone. That's around one in four deaths in the United the States. It's the number one cause of death, am I right, in the United yeah. States? Number one cause of death in the United States. And that and being one in four. It's like one in four people die from cardiovascular from heart disease. Attacks. Essentially, yeah. And first stage of CVD, which I find surprising. Like CVD, or cardiovascular disease, also known, Typically, people think of it as like a like elderly issue that people have to deal with, and of course, that's when you start to really feel the clinical uh, negative as aspects of cardiovascular disease. But cardiovascular disease was actually found in people as early as childhood. So, like in childhood, yes, you start developing the first stages of cardiovascular disease lesions on your arteries, and just in childhood, like. Cardiovascular disease is not just a disease that affects old people, although that affects them the most, of course, clinically, but it also starts in ch childhood. So it's important to have the nutrition as part of your arsenal against the disease as early as possible. Yeah, the food you eat at a young age um, causes plaque to build up in your arteries over time, and that can lead to the narrowing of the arteries when you're an adult and heart attacks eventually. Mm-hmm. So big issue when it comes to preventing it as early as possible. So don't wait until you're in the doctor's office after having a heart attack or you're in the emergency room more appropriately having a heart attack. Prevent that situation from ever happening in the first place with taking it in your own hands and having a proper 
well-balanced diet when it comes to having reduced risk of having a heart attack or any other cardiovascular disease-related uh, phenomenon. So outside of your own personal effects from cardiovascular disease, looking at the economy, cardiovascular disease costs the healthcare about $200 billion every year. So that's, that's a lot of billions in this, when it comes to diseases, a lot of Bs. But that's, that's also very, very expensive, like $200 billion in healthcare costs when it comes to treating cardiovascular disease. And it is, it is expected that up to 90% of cardiovascular events can be prevented with proper diet and exercise. So diets rich in fruits and vegetables, low in saturated fats, and of course, a daily prescription of exercise like running or biking like I do. Uh, biking instead of taking the car or just going to the gym, weight, lifting weights, although preferably a mix of, of the two, plus stretching, of course. Yeah, just find what you enjoy. Exercise can be fun and usually incorporated into your day. Yeah, yeah. The best exercise, I like to say, is exercise that you can stick to for the long term. That's why I like biking. I don't, I used to like running, but I find myself like, I can run every once in a while, but like, I don't think long term wise um, I will be able to do it. But biking, I really enjoy it, and I can find that I can actually bike for the long term, right? Like just using that as my main form of transportation rather than just using a car or going through the bus. Just bike everywhere, guys. Join the bike club promoted by Aaron. Mm -hmm. So continuing from that, we have, of course, cancer, which is the second leading cause of death when it comes to all cancers combined, uh, which in the United States, 1.7 million new cases of cancers appear, at least in 2018, according to the CDC. And every single year, cancer causes about 609,000 deaths per year. So just a little bit less than cardiovascular disease or um, heart attacks. So both are more less equal when it comes to deaths. They both cause a ton of people to have unfortunate events happen to them. But uh, when it comes to sheer numbers, cardiovascular disease technically beats out cancer, but both are major threats to be focused on. When it comes to nutrition and the aspects of cancer, um, diets high in fruits and vegetables, and especially beans, um, being rich in fiber and phytonutrients, they've been shown to actually reduce the risk of certain cancers. And of course, um, other foods such as processed meats with their nitrate content have been shown to actually increase certain cancers such as colorectal cancers. So, um, with, the, with that in mind, uh, just knowing that diet and nutrition can actually affect the risk of cancer as well. So, but uh, more more information on that in future episodes. So, following that, we have food safety, right? Yeah. So, so the, aside from those chronic diseases, uh, food safety is also really important. You can get salmonella from eggs. You can get food poisoning from bacteria. Uh, if, if you, you leave your food out, yeah. If you leave your food out for too long, then bacteria can grow, and you just want to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Refrigerate your food, please. <laughs> Cook your food right, right. Like raw eggs, you shouldn't be eating on the daily. Preferably, preferably want to be cooking it uh, to avoid salmonella poisoning or salmonella infection. My go-to phrase for that is "peel it, cook it, or forget it." <laughs> well. Yeah, that's primarily in relationship with uh, foreign countries, right? Because typically when you travel to a foreign country, you're not used or your body is not familiar with the bacteria that's native to that country, right? So if you're going to a new country, you typically 
preferably you want to follow the advice of peel it. So like bananas, oranges, tangerines, foods that you can peel that have an outer coating and or cook it to of course kill the bacteria that's present in the food or if you can't do that you want to forget it to avoid traveler's diarrhea our favorite thing in the world right gross you don't want that yeah we know you don't want that no one wants that so to best avoid traveler's diarrhea you want to eat foods that you can peel and you want to eat foods that have been cooked uh, if you if you want the best odds against developing traveler's diarrhea Aside from physical diseases, lack of nutrition can also have costs on mental health. For example, low self-esteem or negative views on body image. You feeling negative about yourself, you look in the mirror and you often find, like, mainly from society really, like these perfect bodies. You look at, your, look at yourself and you're like, man, I don't compare anything to these, right? And you have a lower image of yourself and you just feel bad about yourself, right? And this mostly comes from just like the culture we live in, just like focusing too much on like perfection and Social making media. it. Social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of low self-esteem, there's also the death and pain of loved ones from those who have passed away from chronic diseases or who are suffering with chronic diseases. Yeah, it's... Honestly, really sad just seeing people uh, suffer from these diseases. It's really, really debilitating. So, and sorry to leave you on a sad note, but yeah, sorry, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and discuss aspects of nutrition. Yeah, so see you guys when the break is done. And we're back with aspects of nutrition. So we all know about calories. It's um, the basic unit of energy for, from food. It gives our body energy to perform their basic functions, and you can get calories from our macronutrients, which are carbs, fats, and proteins. Yeah, and it's also important aspects. One of the aspects when it comes to uh, proper weight management, and on top of weight management, we also have another uh, aspect of nutrition being essential nutrients, so uh, really small quantity of certain molecules that we need to properly function and and our prime so these essential nutrients are also part into two groups the micronutrients and the macronutrients so micronutrients being consisting of vitamins and minerals like vitamin a vitamin c magnesium calcium iron and macronutrients of course as michelle said before is another way of just saying the main building or the main blocks of food that contribute to calories in food. So carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And as we'll discuss in future episodes, we can find out how these macronutrients in certain forms can actually contribute to chronic diseases. So in terms of carbohydrates, like refined sugar, and when it comes to fats, like a high six omega, high omega six intake, and also a high saturated fat intake. And also with back to carbohydrates, we can also see how a low fiber diet may affect our potential health. Aside from essential nutrients, we also have phytonutrients, which are not essential, but they're very beneficial to our bodies and they're found in plants. So, for example, we have anthocyanins, which provide blue, purple, and red colors in berries, the ones that give us our antioxidants. We also have sulforaphane, which is an anti-cancer compound found in cruciferous vegetables, such as broccoli. 
finding a change are often difficult to pronounce. So some of these words you may see, like, how do you pronounce that? And it was like, well, you just kind of figure it out. <laughs> so, but um, to finish off what Michelle was saying about the colors of, of the berries, um, those colors being originated from anthocyanins, which is not only just found in berries, but also gives it colors um, like in red cabbage. And any any f- fruit or vegetable that's purple, it's like purple carrots as well, they, those typically have higher concentrations of anthocyanins, which typically give the purple and red colors in fruits and vegetables. So basically, eat the rainbow. Yeah, essentially, eat the rainbow. That's a common thing you hear, and it's pretty true, really. And that's eating the rainbow in terms of eating a more balanced diet, right? Getting all the essential nutrients you, you need, but also getting a wide ver- variety of phytonutrients as well to get a wide variety of benefits from them. And when we mean the eating a variety of food, we also we obviously mean like eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, right? Like we said before, when that doesn't mean eating a wide variety of rainbow-colored Skittles, right? You get a benefit of a variety of flavors, but you don't get the benefit of the variety of health benefits as you would from eating a variety of different colored fruits and vegetables rather than the rainbow of Skittles. Uh, no, Skittles <laughs> do not contain phytonutrients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They contain, they contain the rainbow, but they don't contain the benefits that we usually associate with the rainbow-colored fruits and vegetables. So, yeah, so... Transitioning now to the recipe of the week. This is how we're going to end most podcasts. Um, we'll give you guys a recipe. Just some, If you want to try it out, what me and Michelle both like together. Um, any recipes that we think are good, that we, guys, that we think you guys would enjoy. So today's recipe, if I get it out, is what I like to call the bean tree bowl because there's beans and there's broccoli and if you don't remember from your childhood, broccoli are basically miniature trees. So mm-hmm. in this you have one head of cooked broccoli or raw if you can eat it raw, but preferably you want to eat it cooked. I can't eat a I can't eat a raw head. I've of never broccoli. liked raw broccoli, I'm sorry. <laughs> Only with hummus it's good. I can eat it for a little bit, but after like the fil- the fourth floret it's not good. Broccoli is my favorite vegetable, and I can't eat it raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Props to you if you can eat it raw. You have a, you have a strong will <laughs> to eat raw broccoli. But okay, so you have a, a cooked head of raw broccoli. Then you have a can of beans, uh, just any conventional kind of beans, white beans, black beans, whatever beans you like. And you also have a carrot. So like, if you're cooking your broccoli, you also will be cooking the carrot along with it, like diced up if you want as well, or a whole carrot whatever you want. And on top of that, you also have a fourth of a block or half of a block of tofu for the um, uh, protein source in this food. And with spices, I usually use cumin, black pepper, and turmeric when it comes to this. When I was making this back in summer school, I usually always made this to bring with me to summer school, uh, just to fill me up during breaks. So during those times, I I usually use and also recommend if you want to what I exactly what I ate was cumin, turmeric, and black pepper. But you can also experiment with any other spices that you want. I like teriyaki sauce. You can use that too. I can imagine that being very delicious as well. And an avocado on top. Of course, avocado. Avocado is good on everything, though, right? Everything can be better with avocado. Right. On top of sriracha, but that's just me. Everything is better with sriracha, in my oh, opinion. Oh, hot sauce. Yeah, use hot sauce. Yes. <laughs> sriracha, I think, will also be bomb with this. I wasn't a big sriracha. I didn't discover sriracha 
when I was eating this on the daily to, for summer school, but if I discovered sriracha when I was eating this, like I think I would put it like on this every single day as well. Discover sriracha. I grew up with it. I know, but I, I, <laughs> my parents always used it, but I never bothered to use it myself. I use it now all the time, like all the time, and I love it. You learn new things every day. I know, every single day. So for any people who are interested in nutrition facts of this, so just a basic uh, macronutrient breakdown of this, for this meal you get 750 calories. So you get, a, you, get a, you get a good meal from this. You get a decent amount of calories from it. You also get 56 grams of protein, which mostly comes from the broccoli. Well, that's a good amount from the broccoli too, like maybe like three or four grams. But most of it comes from the beans and of course the block of tofu from it, very high protein sources. And on top of this, you also have 15 grams of fat in it, mostly coming from unsaturated fats, of course. And you also have around 44 grams of fiber which is pretty high. So if you're not used to a high fiber intake, so if you're used to like 15 or 20, I would recommend eating, uh, maybe like lowering the bean amount. That's where most of the fiber comes from, just so you don't get a little bit of like digestion discomfort, a little bit gassy. Because if you're not used to fiber and you eat this much fiber in one meal, you could probably feel like you're pretty gassy. So lower the bean intake if you're not used to fiber. And yeah, and also on top of this, you also get, for some minerals, you get like 70% of potassium and you get like around 90% of your calcium as well. Assuming the tofu is calcium fortified, which most tofu is, it's pretty hard to find tofu that's not fortified with some sort of calcium with it. And so yeah, so this is our last, or this is our first episode, not our last episode, this is away from this, I don't know why I said last, but this is our first episode, guys at least with us as a new host. So hope you guys enjoyed it. And around this time, we also would, depending on what we want to do, we could either end every single episode with a question from the viewer, or we can just collect whatever questions we have collected from like emails or Instagram is the best way to contact us. And we just maybe have like one whole podcast discussing FAQs, or we can have the end of the podcast just answering one viewer's question. Yeah, send us your questions um, by email, by Instagram, whichever is easiest for you. We do have a website, and it's foodologyradio.weebly.com. And all our contact information is on there. Our email, our Instagram, which is also at CSULB Foodology Radio. Yeah, so that's, that's the best way of contacting us. So any questions you have, send them our way, and also any constructive criticism you have also please send them our way we all we would like some feedback on how we've been doing and obviously we would are seeking to better this podcast and increase the quality that we're producing and one way of making it much much easier for us is if you just send some constructive feedback through those main ways of communicating to us email and instagram being the most convenient for us one more thing. Uh, we also have our recipes um, that we mentioned in, at the end of every episode on our website. And we will most likely be posting those to our Instagram as well. And any links to the resources we use will also be posted on our website. Yeah, so we have a, like Michelle said, we have a recipe page. So most of the recipes that we mentioned will be in there. If it's not on there, just give us some time. We'll get it on there, but we will be on there. We already have some recipes up, posted online as you guys yep. are listening to this. The so you can quinoa to recipe, quinoa bean mix. Yeah, the quinoa bean mix. Doesn't that sound good? 
So yeah, that's Check that's one of, that's one of the recipes we have up there, and of course, other recipes up there like the bean tree bowl, right? That we mentioned before, and other future recipes that we'll share with you guys in the coming future. Yep. So look forward to my recipes. Yes, but <laughs> Michelle's recipes are honestly pretty good. You oh, guys, wow, thanks. Yeah, yeah, honestly, honestly, they're really good. So. Yeah, thanks for listening to us, guys. It's our very first episode, so I hope we did more or less a good enough job for the right. And I hope, of course, we're gonna get better as we keep on doing this over a longer period of time. But yeah, this this will be honestly a very memorable episode. I can imagine this like two years down the line, Mm -hmm. going back in this first episode and be like, man. We did not know what we were doing. <laughs> we were very, very nervous, and we were like, "Dang, we had like our communication skills like not on point." Now going back to it, we improved a lot. Honestly, I think I can foreshadow that going into the future. Yeah, I hope to look back on this episode, think of memories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was the beginning of a new chapter, right? Like a new thing that we we're doing. To new beginnings. Happy 2020, and we hope you join us for the next episode. Yeah, hopefully you guys will come to tune and listen to us again. But until then, see you guys until the next episode.